This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello, Happy New Year, and welcome to episode 161 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan, and I'm joined today by Brady and David. Things are all quiet on the football offseason front for the time being, so we'll start 2023 with a basketball-centric pod. It was a 1-1 opening weekend for Georgia State men's basketball to begin their Sunbelt slate this season, a 63-47 loss to James Madison on Thursday, and a 68-58 win over South Alabama on Saturday. It was a low-scoring rock fight for much of the opener versus JMU, but a 7-minute scoreless stretch to start the second half for the Panthers saw a 5-point halftime deficit shoot all the way up to 18, putting the Dukes in firm control of their first conference game as a Sunbelt member. Saturday's game against South Alabama didn't look to be going any better, as the Jaguars took a 30-17 lead with 4.30 to go in the first half. But from that point, after a Jonas Hayes timeout, Georgia State outscored them 51-28 the rest of the game, earning a weekend split and a double-digit win to open the Sunbelt accounts this season. So gentlemen, what did you think of this opening weekend of games? Yeah, well, I mean, I think 1-1, one and one, like we said, was going to be a good result, a bare minimum of what you'd hope for result, especially because they were both at home games, and especially as we found out after both games got played, that each of James Madison and South Alabama were going to be without their leading scorers. Votto Morse, their point guard for James Madison, did not play, sounded like he was sick. Um, And Isaiah Moore for South Alabama on Saturday was not able to play. He had fallen on like his tailbone in the Southern game. And so he just, it was too soon for him to be fit and ready to play in that game. And so it was two home games and it was two games against teams without their best scorer. So it would have felt like a really, really, really bad missed opportunity to go winless in that stretch. So it was important to get the win on Saturday. It was also important to get the win on Saturday because I think the performance on Thursday and especially the manner in which the game kind of unraveled was concerning. And so you wanted to see some positivity out of that uh, before you got into the next stretch of games. And I think you, you got that on Saturday, but you know, the thing to say about Thursday is it was close for about 30 minutes of the game, like 30 game minutes, pretty even between them. It was a five point game at halftime and they were even scoring in the final 10 minutes. But I mean, that's that stretch in this to start the second half going over seven minutes without scoring just killed the chances in that game. Turned a five-point uh, James Madison halftime lead into an 18-point comfortable lead that they never really got close to giving up. I want to sit on that halftime stretch right there uh, because I really did not think Georgia State looked that bad going into the half. Like, they looked fine. They were losing. You know, they went a good stretch without a field goal um, in the first half. And, yeah, you know, we, we've seen with this team, they, they get into some droughts. But, you know, it, it didn't look like they were playing necessarily poorly. And then I don't know what happened in the halftime locker room, but it was just an all-time worst vibes moment for Georgia State. Like, absolutely nothing was going well. There were fouls that were, you know, being attributed to them. There was a technical, you know, Jaheim Hudson did not have a good time on the basketball court just in any sense. Um, And, I mean, James Madison kind of they stayed the course that they were on. You know, they didn't do anything different than what they did in the first half. And even there was even a moment there in the second half where it was just like, okay, I mean, 
James Madison isn't really scoring themselves either. They're just, you know, hitting their free throws. Like they, you know, their first field goal came, you know, three and a half minutes into the half. But it still took Georgia State another four minutes to score in the in the frame themselves, you know? So it's like I don't know what was really going on, but it's just an all-times bad vibes for that stretch of seven minutes. And it really felt like it was going to be that way for the remainder of the game. Like, I'm shocked that, George, like, obviously in the moment, I wasn't necessarily tracking it, but I'm shocked that they actually outscored their first half performance because of how poor the beginning of the second half was against James Madison. Yeah, and I think it's a disappointment because defensively, you kind of did everything you would have hoped for. Like if you're like, we're going to hold James Madison, who's averaged over 92 a game to 63 points. You'd feel like you were very well in that game. And yeah, in the second half, James Madison, like you said, it took them a little while to get going too. And in that stretch, I mean, it was seven minutes. Teams could score more than 13 points in a seven minute stretch. And so it only being a 13 0 run at that point was kind of a blessing for Georgia State. But it was also that they were still doing what they needed to defensively. The one thing in the second half that James Madison really took advantage of, and it's a real credit to them, is they just got to the line. They got to the line in the first half some too, and they're making their free throws, but they really just got downhill, drew contact, made their free throws. I think they finished 20 of 26 on the night. Exactly what you dropped to do. As an aside, I would say it, made watching the second half, regardless of the result, just unbearably bad. Like the pace of the game in the second half was a whistle every time anyone's going down possession. And it just was not at all. It was as much of a drag as any college basketball game I've seen in a while has been. Um, But that was kind of the game they had to play. Georgia State was still not really letting them run their offense like they've become accustomed to. But they adjusted, and I think the biggest part of it, and I think this leads into some of the bad vibes you're talking about, is from minute one, James Madison was the ball pressure. Anytime anyone had it top of the key, someone's right in their face. You know, they pass it right in their face. And I think after a little while, that it was just such a heated game because both teams were playing that just gritty defense, and it was clearly affecting uh, the Panthers from the start of the game with all the turnovers and not really finding their flow on offense that I think it kind of boiled over there. And JMU's got a lot more of an experienced group and I think they handled the moment more. And you saw, you know, the technical with Jaheim and reaction with him going to the sideline, having a very, very animated uh, discussion with coach Hayes, which he, after the game apologized for in the press conference. He didn't think that he handled that situation. Great. He's a young head coach learning stuff like that on the job, but clearly just did not handle that moment of adversity well at all. And that's not been a problem in that regard. You know, scoring droughts have been a part of this team for the first part of the season. It's kind of how this team has struggled. It's been the biggest point. I mean, I don't need to tell anyone who's listening to this. You've watched the games. Obviously, offense has been a problem in a lot of games, but the manner in which it just completely devolved was new. And it really would have been a cause for concern, but they kind of got things sorted from near the end of the first half on against South Alabama. And, you know, and I I don't want to even dwell on the bad vibes because, like you said, they fixed them, you know, 
starting in the end of the first half against South Alabama and through the rest of that game, you know, and I, I honestly feel like this is going to be a situation where it's just a, Hey, we found an opponent that, you know, tipped our rocker or whatever on this one afternoon. Like, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that this is going to be a situation where we're going to see, you know, Georgia state have a bad vibes, you know, type game like this. Like the last game of the season is against James Madison. If the same type of game happens at this time at the end of February, then, you know, there's probably a lot of, for some cause for concern on this team, but I don't know. I feel like going into, you know, the South Alabama game, they handled themselves a lot better. And, you know, as we kind of continue the season, like they can definitely put that poor performance behind them and, you know, move on from it because, Hey, like, you know, like you said, they did a lot better against South Alabama, you know, and I'm not, we don't have to start talking to about South Alabama yet, but you know, I mean, (laughs) we don't need to dwell on the low. That's fair. You know, one area where we can see just a very quick discrepancy is the personal fouls. You know, two guys fouled out against James Madison. They had literally half as many fouls, you know, 26 to 11 against South Alabama. Obviously, you know, Georgia State plays a very specific type of defense. It's a very gritty, you know, kind of in your face. That was the style that James Madison was playing, but you know, I also know that tensions are probably not going to run as high if you're not fouling nearly as much and you're still being effective in how you are playing defense. Yeah, and the biggest thing, I think, for Saturday was Jaheim Hudson really couldn't have had a worse game against James Madison. You know, he finished scoreless. Uh, He was hoisting some threes, and I think the frustration was getting to him. Like you said, he fouled out. He was one of those who fouled out. He got the technical... And he turned around, basically no time to think about the game, just kind of flush and move on, and turns out 18-11, and 11, gets a double-double against South Alabama. It was really a part of the second-half turnaround in that game, and that's really encouraging because he's going to be one of the most important players on this team, and I don't think it's a surprise that when he was struggling as much as he was on Thursday, that it affected the team and the team was struggling as well. But you saw what he was able to do and the, what the team was able to do when he had it sorted and when he was playing at his best. I think doing that with basically no time to – it's not like you have to sit with the game for a while. You just kind of have to recover in a day and get ready for a new opponent. Really, really good stuff to see from Jaheim and really mattered in the manner of how Georgia State won that game because it was kind of trending the wrong way again. Uh the timeout that Jonas Hayes called, maybe it's going to be one of those moments. It's going to be like uh, the Rob Lanier talking about uh, the the hotel stay in Alabama, that the season turned from that point for him. Um, because they were down 13. Owen White had just hit a three to make it that 13-point game. And it it just felt like nothing had clicked yet at that point. There had been about 16 minutes of game time. And Georgia State was just getting outplayed. Like, it just, they, they were not locked in like they needed to be and coming off of the disappointment on Thursday, that was like a, Oh no, they're letting that loss turn into a second loss. And, you know, they're staring at a blowout in the face right here. And then they went on a run 12 0 run to cut it to one at the half. And then brand new ball game, no matter what happens to start the second half, even if South Alabama recovers a little bit, you've cut it back to one point. So you're in the ballpark. Uh, but the run continued. Georgia State took the lead, 
with the first made basket of the second half and just never looked back at that point. Uh, pushed it up into double digits a couple of times. South Alabama fought back, but in the final couple of minutes, Georgia State you know, just let guys like DeWan Odom get downhill, make their shots. Uh, they were confident. They were taking them. They were taking good looks. And they were playing good defense, and they just closed out the game really strong, which, again, given how this team is going to have to play games, going to have to win games, seeing them close out that well was another encouraging thing out of the weekend because they're going to be in another game like that. You know, this week they could be in two games like that. The week after they could be in two more games like that. That is the DNA. That is the formula of how Georgia State basketball games are going to go this year. And so seeing them start to win more of those after losing some close ones earlier in the year, definitely a good sign for where they're at. And, you know, the thing that rebounded was the free throw shooting, you know, that kept the turnovers, so like you said, and just good situational basketball. You know, I think the the one knock you could say about Georgia State this year that we've kind of hampered home is those scoring droughts. You know, this is not going to be an elite offense, I think. You know, and you, you kind of can look at the box score and kind of see that guys are still kind of working their way back. And, you know, some guys are struggling, absolutely, but situational basketball is going to keep Georgia state in a lot more games than otherwise. And if they're in a lot of games, it's not going to matter if Evan Johnson is two for nine from the floor. Not going to matter if Brendan Tucker is three for 10, you know, both of those guys hit their free throws. Both of those guys, you know, did not foul out. They did not find ways to get them off the court, you know, and that, matters a lot more than all right is somebody going to walk in there walk into the convocation center and drop 20 today drop 25 today you know yes obviously it would be nice if georgia state was a little bit more consistent with their scoring but you know this is kind of the team that they have right now until they can find ways to be more consistent with their scoring and put the ball in the bottom of the net I think in the second half, especially, we kind of saw the the way that they can make the offense work better because I actually thought it was a really good half offensively. Um, and the answer is not forcing the three, moving the ball. And when guys get even a sliver of space, the right guys drive the lane and get to the hoop because you saw Dewan and Jaheim and Jermaine Mann, who I thought had a really good game at both sides of the court, pick their spots and get aggressive and get to the rim and score points and easy look high percentage looks. And they were getting them to fall. I mean that the, the move that Dewan has where he can stop all of his momentum and do the little turnaround baby hook is pretty unguardable. The only way you can guard is if he misses it or if he somehow moves his pivot foot and travels because yeah, I don't know how many hours he spent in the gym perfecting that move, but it's starting to be like one of those staples that you see from a guy like, you know, Devontae White's the mid-range jumper, the moves that like RJ had when he was uh, getting downhill, going to the basket. Um, really good to see from him again. I think that he's the one you're expecting the most from any given night that you think he can get into double digits. Um, but other guys that have to step up there too, because if guys can just sag off other shooters and take away the space for him to drive and they don't have to give any attention to the other guards that are on the court, that could potentially be a threat to get downhill. Then that's where the offense can really get stagnant. And that's where the ball gets stuck. That's where guys start forcing the first time they get 
any kind of space because the shot clock's winding down. I thought you saw a good balance between being picky, but also pushing the tempo after South Alabama misses and stuff like that. And it helped the offense find some flow. And they were four of 12 on three. And one, I think that 12 number's nice low number. You don't want to force too many unless you're just getting a lot of good looks. But they missed, I think, two or three really good looks off of good action that you take those threes any day of the week. And if those pretty good percentage threes go in, you're talking about a six of 12 day, which is, you don't have to do any spit on that. That's just 50% from three. That's a great day. But even the four of 12, even though you had those misses, I still thought it was a good day because they weren't forcing it and they were letting the action, letting the offense come to them. I'll do you one better, you know. I'm not trying to throw Evan Johnson under the bus, but, you know, if he doesn't take a three, they're four of eight. That's that's still 50%. So, to me, I really just see a guy who's struggling and keeping the numbers lower than they might otherwise be. And, like, obviously in the record books, those numbers are still going to be there. I'm not telling you to erase Evan Johnson's contributions from everything because, no, you know, we just talked about his free throws, so you can't erase the threes. But imagine if... Two of those shots go in. That looks a lot better than what it does now. So, you know, I'm by no means concerned about the threes. You just, like you said, want them to be the consistent, good threes. And I think the the, the weird thing about this Georgia State team is they get knocked out of taking the shot that they want very often. And, you know, like guys like Jermaine Mann, guys like Brandon Tucker, they have various shots on the court that you've seen in other in previous games this season. Um, you know, like the Rhode Island game, the obviously, you know, middle Georgia state's not necessarily, they're not a D one team, but like the Mercer game, for example, you see those games and you saw how those guys played in those games and they'll, they'll find whatever shot that they want on that day and they'll just hammer it over and over again. And it's very weird to me how Georgia state has been able to get out of the shot. Sometimes the defense does affect them, you know, and I think James Madison did a good job of that, but you know, on the other side, South Alabama didn't do such a good job of that. So that level of consistency is something that Georgia state absolutely needs to work on because it'll make things so much better for them if they can find it. And wanted to transition to just talking about this past week in general. And just something we're going to start introducing here on the Thursday night podcast is just a more general discussion as the Sunbelt season goes on. Cause I feel like we talk about each of the teams in the conference when they're on Georgia state's schedule without giving the full picture of what's going on in the conference. And so this seemed like the perfect time to start that because it was a pretty zany opening week for Sunbelt basketball. I think you could probably say that both of the results in Georgia state's games went about as you know chalky as you would think. James Madison, a good team, winning on the road, but then Georgia State holding serve against South Alabama at home. You can't really say that for the rest of the games that happened this week because if you look at the standings, you look at where each of the teams are with their records in conference play after two games. You've got Southern Miss and James Madison at 2-0, which given the way that those seasons have started for them, probably not that surprising. But then you also have Georgia Southern who beat... South Alabama on Thursday and went up and beat Coastal in Conway on Saturday. And you have ULM at 2-0 after going on the road and beating Texas State and Arkansas State. And those are definitely surprises. And then, you know, filling out, continuing to move down, the one and one teams through two games include Georgia State, obviously, Coastal Carolina, 
Arkansas State, Marshall, Old Dominion, and Troy. And then the 0-2 teams. You got South Alabama, who lost to both the Georgia schools. App State, who had a, to go from Marshall to Southern Miss in two days. And I'm sure that was a factor in their losses. And then maybe the two surprises on the other side of things. You got Texas State, who lost to ULM and then lost to Troy. And Louisiana, who lost to ODU on Saturday after losing to Coastal on Thursday. I guess where does your attention get drawn when you look at that being the state of play after two games? So I hate to do this because it's literally after one week, okay? But I love going back to the coaches' poll and just kind of matching up records with what was said. And there are two teams that I'm kind of focused on. One is Southern Miss, who are 13-2. and two. They're one of the 2-0s and O's in the conference. Like you said, they beat Troy and App State and, you know, generally looked pretty good. And then the other is Texas State, who is under 500 and is one of the 0-2s. And, and the reason I picked these two teams is because Texas State was predicted to finish second behind Louisiana in the preseason coaches poll. Southern Miss was predicted to finish second to last, which is currently where Texas State is. And Southern Miss is tied for the lead in the conference, as obviously we're in conference play now. But they also have the most wins in the conference. And, I mean, not all of these wins are bad. Like, you know, some of these wins are fairly good wins. You know, Texas, I think it's... No, no, I'm thoroughly impressed with Southern Miss so far. I mean, they brought in some transfers and it's worked. They basically completely retooled their roster, and they're a top 100 team in the country right now. Yeah, you know, they look really good. And that's definitely the thing that I am going to be watching. You know, it's far too early to talk about run the table and, you know, undefeated in conference play. But they're a very good team, and I think they don't face another team of their estimated caliber, I should say. So their their next game is against Louisiana. Louisiana is one of the teams in the conference with 10 wins. Um, after that, you know, they play games where only one of the two games on the weekend is against the team that can necessarily challenge them. And now they're, they're currently on the road. You know, their next four are going to be away from, you know, Southern Miss, but... Southern Miss is definitely a team that should be making some noise in the Sun Belt as we kind of get into the meat and potatoes of conference play. Yeah, and given that they were baseball, they're national, you know, just hosted super regional and uh, football have had historic. It was kind of like get what you can from them in basketball because the other sports are where you're going to think you're going to get the big big wins from and no they've come in in year one and played in basketball too and really done a lot so you're definitely right just to single them out certainly i have a different perception of that game than i did just to the preseason based on this the way that the seasons have gone for these two teams uh they play once in atlanta that'll be an interesting game for me and i think we thought this was going to be the year we avoided this exact talking point that feels like it happens every sunbelt season Louisiana's 0-2, and they do this every time, where they just have a lot of talent, and for whatever reason, they just don't usually get off to a good start in conference play. They've done it on a few occasions, one of which was the year where they were the one seed, 
and kind of ran through the Sun Belt and then didn't end up making the tournament winning the auto bid, getting upset in the uh, Sun Belt tournament in New Orleans. I don't know. Like, they are too good to start 0 and 2 and be where you're talking about this, you know, this Cajuns team that was picked, I think, number one, right? Number one in the Sun Belt. They absolutely you know? were. And, yeah, and I agree with you. Like I, they always do this. And I I don't get it because they always start the season dropping games that they shouldn't, and then they just go on a run. And it's just like, oh, this was the team that was expected to be there in the top three in the Sunbelt. It's just like, where was this during week one? And this year they actually kind of cleaned up in non-conference play. They beat SMU. Uh they stacked up some more wins, and their only losses were to like Texas, who Really good team. Drake, probably the best mid-major, one of the top two or three mid-majors this year. Um, and that was it. That was all they had lost. They've lost as many games in Sunbelt play as they had the entire month and change before then uh, in just one week. So obviously, as we move forward and talk about the next set of games, the Louisiana schools are on the schedule. So you going to immediately see the response there from them. But Certainly, if you look at like the one team that I won't say is hitting the alarm button, but like that last week went just drastically, drastically below results, I'd say it's probably the Cajuns. And you know, second runner-up would be Texas State because they lost those games at home, and one of them was to a ULM team that I think that you'd have circled as a home game that you'd want to get over the line against. And so, yeah, interested to see. Obviously, the two-game sample size is dangerous because you know in two weeks all those teams we mentioned could have the exact opposite record and it's like oh they're 500 now and maybe it was overreaction so we obviously have to let this play out a little bit more but i think we highlighted just about all the teams that stand out well i've got one more but i'll save it because it's the other team that georgia state's playing this upcoming week um that stood out to me for sure no, this is absolutely why we need to do this in week one and then never do it again till the end of the year. You know, we'll just we'll just stamp our week one takes and that's it. That's the this is how yeah, we lock it up in the vault. Belt. Yeah, absolutely. You go back and listen to it and be like, this is devoid of context. We there's two games here. Exactly. Exactly. Up next this week, a road trip to Louisiana, ULM at 730 p.m. on Thursday and Louisiana at 8 p.m. on Saturday night. As mentioned before, ULM are one of the surprises after one week with a 2-0 conference record, beating Texas State and Arkansas State on the road to start out Sunbelt play. The Warhawks are 6-9 on the season so far. The Cajuns, for their part, were one of the underperformers relative to expectations, losing both their road trips to Coastal Carolina and Old Dominion. Riding a three-game losing streak heading into this week's action, they're now 10-4 in 2022-23. They'll host Southern Miss on Thursday before the Panthers roll into town. So, gentlemen, thoughts on this Louisiana road trip? So, I alluded to this right at the end of our little Sunbelt roundup. Uh, the other team that stood out to me from the opening week of games was ULM because they went on the road and beat Texas State and Arkansas State. And it seems like Texas State's maybe a little bit more in flux than expected and not having quite the year that they were hoping for. And Arkansas State obviously lost the best player in the conference last year, Norchad Armir, and it's been a struggle understandably to replace a guy like that. And that win on its own, although it was by 12, which is impressive to go do as a road team, doesn't mean a whole lot out of context. 
but it does say that, you know, it's a team that can win games. It's a team that is more than comfortable, you know, rocking your boat. And this is a home game for them. And going on the road is always a tough thing. Georgia State's only done it two times so far this season. And so obviously they can't take any of these games for granted. And the evidence of that is that this isn't two and O team in Sunbelt play. It, it doesn't get any easier to say, look, this team can win games when all they've done in conference play so far is do exactly that. That's true. And they certainly are a surprise, you know, looking at their out of conference, they didn't exactly burn through it like you would have expected given you know them just knocking off a supposed decent team like texas state but i mean they're playing well right now when it matters and what matters for this conference is sunbelt play you know they might not have like a dynamic score their leading score tyreek liqueur you know nice 13 points per game that's not a bad number by any stretch of the imagination but you know it's not like we're looking at somebody who's just going to go blazing fast and you know maybe their style is a slow ground and pound defensive struggle like georgia state has been playing recently that you know very possible they're very much something that georgia state would be used to but other than that you know i i think it is necessarily a surprise that we're sitting here looking at the warhawks as a 2-0 sunbelt team and you know i'm interested to see how this goes because you know the target's on their back now yeah, I got this one circled. I mean, if you look at the game against Texas State, they didn't shoot over 30% in, on twos or threes. And uh, as a team, we're under 30%, which would be a formula for just getting absolutely blown out. That is not the, at all what you're going to do. And many times, it, it, many times you do that, you're going to lose heavily. But they overcame it by getting to the line 31 times and making 23 of those. And in a game that played out in the 50s, their defense got them over the line and their free throw shooting got them over the line. And so given the type of games that we've seen Georgia State play all through the year, I mean, I wouldn't expect anything different from a game exactly like that. So it's going to come down to who's able to get to the line and who's able to make their shots. And if that is how it plays out, if neither team can, if both of the teams are still struggling as they're both in the, the bottom 50, if you look at offensive efficiency on Ken Palm, they're still not finding those shots. If they're both in the 20s and the 30s percentages and it comes down to who's able to get to the line, you would take Georgia State in that, in that situation. They're shooting really well as a team and especially guys like Dewan Odom and Brendan Tucker and Jaheim Hudson and Jermaine Mann are pretty reliable free throw shooters. So if it is that type of a game... I think you'd feel okay with it, but it's on the road. And I don't think that it's more that this is how games have played. I think if Georgia state had their way, they'd find that offense. I think that you are still going to go into this game, hoping you can find some rhythm on offense, but it's going to be interesting to see who can kind of take advantage if that's the way it does play out. And, you know, on any given week, that might be the assumption. It's just like, this is going to be two games like this. And, you know, going to be interesting to see. And obviously, uh, ULM just won a game exactly like that against a team on the road, and they'll have the chance to play Georgia State at home on Thursday. 
Yeah, you know, one thing that Louisiana does really well is Louisiana Monroe. They they're really good at getting steals. Um, you know, Georgia State is not the the worst when it comes to their turnover percentage, um, but ULM is, you know, top 100 team as it relates to turnover percentage, specifically they're really good at racking up steals. Um, you know, we said this last week about Georgia State, you know, taking care of the ball and keeping, you know, James Madison from getting steals, South Alabama from getting steals. Like that was going to be very important for Georgia State's ability to, you know, pull the upset against James Madison, beat South Alabama. But this is going to be another test for them to continue to improve on their turnover numbers. They're not bad. They're by no means bad. Um, But, you know, when you face teams that are as tenacious as Louisiana Monroe can be, it has the ability for you to kind of get out of whack, get out of source with your offense and commit a lot of turnovers that you otherwise wouldn't. Yeah. And they did not handle that well against James Madison. Like we talked about James Madison's defense from basically minute one, all the way through to the final buzzer affected them the entire time, forced them into a lot of sloppy turnovers early in the game, especially that was a problem So you'd like when you get a second chance to kind of face that team that's going to challenge you in that way to face up a little bit better against it. And so they're going to get that challenge exactly a week after the first game when that happened. And, you know, talked about it a little bit in the sense of that 0-2 is a disappointment for Louisiana. It's a good team. It's a team that in the preseason I was kind of equating to Georgia State last year that they had the core back from a team that lost in the Sunbelt title game that probably feels and wishes that they had gotten over the line in that one. And so there's a, a moniker of unfinished business amongst them. And I still believe that, you know, Jordan Brown is one of the biggest unicorns in this league, hardest guys to deal with uh, down low transfer from Arizona. And they've got some other transfers in Bob Marlon always gets guys in. Um, Greg Williams was a guy that, really came on in the Sunbelt tournament. He was a transfer from, from St. John's who's actually from Lafayette. And he's continued that this year. He hadn't really find his flow until the end of last season for them. This season, he's at 46% from three on 54 attempts. So definitely not even a small sample size there, just a really good three-point shooter, a guy that they're going to have to keep their eye on. Uh, weird games happen constantly when Georgia State plays Louisiana in the Cajun Dome. Uh, there's definitely been some weird ones in Atlanta also, but it feels like something zany happens. Um, and I think there was a game, I, I don't think Georgia State was playing in it, but there was another game where Louisiana had the lights go out in like a pretty key final possession. I forget what that was, but um, I forget what year. It was pretty recently. Like the lights just completely went out and there was like only like red lighting from like the the ribbon board. Oh, wait, I think that was last season. I think so. It was pretty recent. I remember yeah. it. I don't remember who it was against, which is making this great podcast material. Um, but point I wish to say, weird stuff has happened in Lafayette. And that wasn't against Georgia State to my knowledge, but there's been some other stuff that have happened in that in this series, in that arena. Um, I think 2020, there were just an absolutely zany endgame that Georgia State ended up losing at Louisiana that I'm remembering. And last year was pretty weird too. Yeah, wasn't wasn't there a buzzer beater? I don't remember if it was exactly a buzzer beater, but uh, 
it was like a latch, last ditch comeback to my memory. Yeah, something like that. Okay, I, I vaguely remember what you're talking about as well. This is a very odd series. It super is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a they blew a, uh, they were up double digits in the second half and ended up losing the game. Louisiana just went on a heater right, right at the end of the game. Cedric Russell, who ended up transferring to Ohio State down the stretch, just kept hitting shots. Um, interested and obviously they're going to have played another game on Thursday. They're playing Southern Miss, so that'll be certainly a game where it's a team really trying not to be 0-3, but I still think you're going to see a little bit of the response of a team that had expectations and isn't meeting them so far, especially if they lose to a good Southern Miss team on Thursday and they are staring 0-4 in the face. It's going to be a game that Georgia State's going to have to get ready for just with a day in between. And it does help that Louisiana schedules their weekend games at night as well. So they're going to have a full 48 hours between games, but it's going to be a talented and probably pretty hungry team. And you're going to have already played a game just recently. And so definitely a big, big test awaiting the Panthers on Saturday in Lafayette. Yeah. You know, you kind of focused on, uh, Jordan Brown, I believe all of us had him as our like Sunbelt preseason player of the year because, duh, you know, he's very good. Um, but I would venture that Georgia State could do really good things defensively against Jordan Brown and then still have to contest with not one, not two, but four guys who are shooting over 40% from three. Um, now, I'll walk that back a little bit. Chancellor White and Vinny Sagona are not guys who are playing, you know, 20 minutes a game. But Kentrell Garnett and Greg Williams, like you mentioned, those guys are. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be something that Georgia State needs to be very, very good at. And I, I think they've done a decent job of defending the three so far this season. Um, the numbers have kind of started to sag a little bit in the wrong direction, unfortunately. Despite I still think weekend. that that, that uh, Belmont game is still skewing the numbers a little bit because it was just really insane in that one game. And there were a couple of weeks where maybe it got a little bit crazy, but I, I tend to agree with your general take. I think that the numbers are lying a little bit because I think they've done a decent job of running teams off the line. Right. I, I, I'm i not really sure what to make of the number, because when you look at the number and you look at the NCAA averages, the 35% as a defense defending the three-point line, that feels high and it's below average. But like you said, it was really that Belmont game that kind of skews that number. So I'm more so just looking for consistency. Are they a team that is going to be bad at defending the three? Or are they a team, when faced with another good three-point shooting team, can still keep them from, you know, raining buckets deep? Because, I mean, if Louisiana's hitting their threes, this game's over. And I, I don't say that to be negative against Georgia State. I just, I know how that offense can work, and I know that they have a very potent offense. And, you know, we've seen the style of defense that Georgia State wants to play and the style of game that they want to play. You know, they want to muck things up and, you know, be very gritty and grindy but that's not the style of basketball that louisiana plays right now they're very fast paced very very much so trying to run out and score as quickly as they can um so yeah it'll be 
It'll be an interesting game, I would say, especially if Louisiana loses. You know, like like you mentioned, if they're zero and three against, and then they have to face Georgia State, they're going to be very hungry, very much trying to get that first conference win. Yeah, I guess just putting a bow on what you just said, uh, which I think you said well, but I'll put a bow on it anyway. We said it a little bit about the James Madison game where if they're hitting their shots or if they're running at their pace, Georgia State just hasn't shown an ability to play that way. And Louisiana's in the same boat. I think every time one of these teams comes across the schedule, we'll mention it and just be like, yeah, okay, there's going to be games where you're going to want to see a lot more offense from Georgia State. But there's also games where you're going to want to see them not try and get into a track meet with teams because they can't keep up. And Louisiana is definitely one of those teams. If it's a game playing out in the 70s and 80s, there's a chance that only one of the teams is in the 70s and 80s. It'd be Louisiana, and it might be a lopsided game. And so I think just like they were able to do against James Madison, minus you know just being too bad offensively and having that one really bad stretch, if you can find a way to take them out of their rhythm, that's going to be your formula to success. Because if they are running their offense, if they are setting the pace, it's going to be a problem. You avoided it against James Madison, but you still didn't win, so it's not a guarantee. But certainly, it's another team on the schedule you look at, and you just go, right now, with the current makeup of the Georgia State team, if it is played on the Cajuns' terms, that's not good news for Georgia State. All right, and of course, before we get you out of here this week, we do have some brief sports bits for you. Men and women's basketball, both in action, two games each this week. Everyone else is still on break. We've got women's basketball hosting South Alabama in the Convocation Center at 6.30 p.m. on Thursday, and then the men, of course, traveling to ULM at 7.30 on that same night. And then on Saturday at 2 p.m., the women host Troy in the Convocation Center, while the men face Louisiana at 8 p.m. in Lafayette. So we'll have our coverage of the men's games for each of those. Good out to the Convocation Center to support the women. And we'll see you back next week in the next episode of the Thursday Night Podcast. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.